Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I had to wait three weeks before I could talk about Manchester City on this podcast, and now I don't want to. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Penalty League Weekend Review Podcast, and joining me to pedantically pour over the pitch side monitor is Matt Froelich. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Now, I wanted to kick things off this week with an email from a listener. Ibad Ansari has written in to say, just finished watching Spurs v Newcastle, still can't believe that handball was given. It ruined the game for me and any neutral fan, but I have a proposal. The FA should heavily invest in a specialised surgery hospital, hire the best prosthetic specialists in the world, and chop off every Premier League player's arms and give them prosthetic ones. Then they take the fake arms off before entering the pitch, and voila, no handball anymore. What do we think? Does that seem like a sensible solution to you? It seems legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am, I, am I the only one in the world who doesn't think the Eric Dyer one was actually that bad of a decision? All right, all right. We'll, oh, talk about, we'll talk about this. <laughs> we'll talk about this later in the show. I'll save that. <laughs> save it, save it. I mean, if you ask me, they should probably just change the rule back. I think that would probably be better than cutting off everyone's arms. But, you know, maybe that's maybe that's a bit too difficult for them. I don't know. <laughs> it's a new world. Let's try it. <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk more about the handball nonsense later, but first we're going to the Etihad, where Manchester City were beaten 5-2 by Leicester on Sunday. Uh, Joel, I have a few theories on this one myself, not all of them broadcastable, to be honest, but um, <laughs> perhaps you could tell me where you think it all went so horribly wrong for City yesterday. I definitely want to hear your theories. Um, <laughs> for myself, I, I just think... I mean, I, don't, I think it's too early to make any real hot takes on, on any team at the moment, um, especially well, three games in. No one's had a real pre-season, uh, or very little anyway, especially City and, and the teams who, who went you know went far in Europe. Um, they've had little to no preparation. Um, so I don't think we can... I think Leicester just caught them at the right the right time and I think you know, Leicester had a really good game plan where they did put you know, men behind the ball and and break and they've got the best attacker to to perfect that game plan. Uh, it also you know didn't help that you know City just like giving penalties away yesterday. <laughs> you know if if I was City, I would simply just not foul players in the box. Yeah. That probably seems to work. In Good advice, games. sir. But, <laughs> um, the, the pressing was off as well. You know, I I, I don't think City pressed from the front really well, and and then the midfield just, just seems to be lacking. Especially, you know, we spoke before uh, off air about Fernandinho. As soon as he went off, as well, mm. you know, City's midfield was non-existent. Um, but I, I, I do think it, it is one of those days, and Leicester just got you know, played played their game plan to perfection, and and you know, cut City off. Uh, well, that, that was it for me. That was the big turning point, the Fernandinho one. I can't believe that he did that still. I mean, I saw um, Liam Delap getting ready to come on and I thought, oh, cool, he's bringing him on. I wonder which attacking player he's going to bring off. Yeah. And then I saw Fernandinho's number go up and I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, and then they just they just sort of gave the midfield to Leicester then for the rest of the game. I mean, we were talking off air as well how, you know, even in the first half, I thought um, Leicester were like really dangerous on the break and City were playing with such a high line um, that it seemed inevitable that Leicester were going to get a good chance to score at some point in the end they didn't even really need to because City gave so many penalties away as he said but but yeah very frustrating afternoon I don't know I feel like uh, City really need to like learn some lessons from this quickly otherwise are, are, are you concerned or like you know and I know you sort of think it might be something that's been building for a little while but you know are you, are you worried now or yeah, very much so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's weird because after the Wolves game, I thought they were really good and I thought the pressing was excellent. I thought, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe this is going to be a decent season after all. But but now I looked at that yesterday and just thought, any team could beat us, really. Uh, they don't have that sort of in- invincibility that they had a couple of years ago, City. It's a bit, I don't know, it's it's all gone pretty it's, wrong. It's fascinating because obviously, you know, myself, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan and um, I I still kind of think that we need to get to like ninety five to hundred points to beat you to to win the league, mm. and uh, but you know looking from you know sort of the things that you say and maybe that's not necessarily the case. No, I don't think it is. To be honest, I don't think it is. But we'll see. I mean, City did have a number of players out injured or recovering from COVID nineteen for this game. Most notably, Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. But is that good enough excuse for the result, Matt? Do you think? Um, I think. Going forward, yeah, you could say you're obviously going to be better when you've got your better strikers um, in form. Um, but there's just no excuse. Um, I don't know how Jesus and Aguero are going to stop you giving away penalties. Mm. I just don't, there's no, there's only so much you can sort of expect from an attacking player. Um, and I think, yeah, of course, like I said, you're going to be better with them. The, the question for me, though, is that 
it seemed like, and this is something you don't often see with the Manchester City team, you always, I heard during commentary during the game, saying you always feel like City are going to get back into it. You always just think, no matter if it's 3-1, 4-1, mm. um, you know, maybe a bit of a, a sort of th- afterthought because of the late Aguero winner in the title all those years ago. You always think they're in with a shot, but they just seem to fall apart. It just seemed to be every attack was danger. Every attack was trouble. They lose the ball and there's another penalty. And I feel like any other team would have sort of been a bit more cautious in the way that they, um, in the way they try to get back into a game. But Man City just seemed to go all out, all out of press and just try to out attack their own poor defence. And I think especially the likes of Benjamin Mendy were so, so poor. Mm. And they just individually players like him and a few others just didn't it almost seemed like they didn't quite know how to get back into it and just thought if we attack enough we'll get back into it and you're still neglecting the fact that they've still got good players on the counter-attack there was still half an hour to go when it was 3-1 I think or 25 minutes um and yeah I, I just think there was an excuse for being a bit blunt in attack maybe but certainly there's no excuse to what they're doing at the back and and, and like you say, you're going to panic this early in the season. I'm, I'm fully there with you. I think it was a one-off result and it is a shock to see Leicester win 5-2 for Guardiola con- to concede five at home. But you've got to be a bit more worried going forwards, thinking if you don't change things rapidly, you can't let these kind of performances sneak in three, four, five times a season where normally with City or with Guardiola teams, you're seeing those sort of performances once every few years. Mm. Well, they were winning 1-0, uh, thanks for Riyad Mahrez's goal. Kyle Walker then gave away a silly penalty just before half-time. And then Eric Garcia and Benjamin Mendy both gave away penalties later in the game. I mean, I mean, it's not something that Guardiola would do publicly, but do you think he could rightfully point at that performance and say, well, they were individual mistakes from the players. They messed up the game plan. That wasn't my fault. Um, you can do that. I, I, I am fully behind that because I think... Look, there is obviously that everyone's making the case of, oh, he spent this much on defence and he spent this much money overall. Why aren't they performing better? These players are bought in. They are trained. They are put in to the game situation, right, before the game starts under the assumption that all the money that Manchester City have paid and all that Pep Guardiola has taught them over the years and throughout the week specifically about playing against Leicester, you'd expect them to be professional enough to put it into action. Mm. If they go ahead and don't do what they say and then turn around and just say, yeah, but Guardiola's lost it. Well, I think, well, no, to be honest, right, you're paid however much and you're a professional footballer and you shouldn't be making these stupid mistakes. And I think in a one-off game, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's not ideal and you could say, oh, it's going to be better, this and that. But I think, especially with Mendy, he just gets caught out one too many times. And I think they've got to be a bit smarter um, moving forward, especially when you look at the kind of penalties that were given away. It was the last two, especially. It was all this sort of the players knew that there was going to be contact coming, and it was a bit rash and a bit silly from the defenders. Um, and yeah, I just I think you you can sort of look at these mistakes, and I think this is the uh, the whole point of bringing in Ruben Diaz mm. um, <laughs> is to kind of make sure these errors either don't happen because Diaz is a better player, or if they do happen, the players know that they're going to be punished by losing their spot in the team. Yeah, well, the big bone of contention among City fans at the moment is the transfer business this summer as well. You know, they've they brought in Nathan Ake and Ferran Torres, but neither player has really sort of solved any problems. Maybe Ruben Diaz is the answer to their prayers. I don't know yeah. about that. I don't know an awful lot about him, to be honest. And, the, you know, the, the big thing that people are saying is that we still need a left back as well, which probably isn't going to happen, you know, mm. based on the sort of rumour mill at the moment. So... Yeah, I don't know if uh, you could say that Guardiola's not been backed in the transfer market, but the club have certainly not really sort of gone out and spent the money on on strengthening the, the weak areas of the squad, I don't think. And Joel, uh, Guardiola doesn't seem very happy at the moment. That was the case even after the win at Wolves on Monday. Um, he's putting that down to the kind of COVID-19 situation and the, the pressure that's being put on players to play and all that kind of stuff. But do you think he's kind of worn himself out like he did at the end of his Barcelona tenure? There's a distinct possibility that's the case and, and, and maybe he's done it to the players as well and, and maybe they just maybe had a little bit of enough of him. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't want to say he's lost faith or he's lost the dressing room, anything like that, but he's clearly a very intense guy and it obviously works and works to an extent and, and he's brought great success to Barcelona, Bayern Munich and, and Manchester City, but you know there is, there is a time where it's proven at both those previous clubs that 
it gets to the stage where it, it just I wouldn't say you know it, it may, it's maybe just run his mill a little bit like the, the energy he asks of the players the intensity he puts on the players I, I can see players eventually just going you know what we, I'm not sure we can keep on doing this mm. um, obviously we, we don't know that because we're not behind the scenes we're not on, on the training grounds we can't see that but I, I think that's what we're perhaps seeing on the pitch uh, or have been seen on the pitch for the last you know, six months um, and, and that, that's a possibility you know let's not call him Fraudiola because you know he's, <laughs> he's, he's one he's, he's one of the, the, the best coaches of all time in, in this game he's produced some of the best teams arguably the best team when it comes to Barcelona um, the 2011 team and then this Man City team is probably one of the best Premier League teams of all time as well um, especially the 100 points one but maybe it's just a case it's, it's just doing his head in a bit he's losing yeah. his hair again um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I think, but I, the, the COVID thing, the COVID thing. Sorry, I think that's an interesting point. Actually, you know, let's not run away the effect that this could have on on the manager as well and the players. And you know, let's not go too heavy onto it. But Guardiola's lost his mum as well mm, recently, yeah, and, I, and I, I just wonder whether this is a conjure of offence and let's just let's maybe get into him a little bit. And I can't blame his human. Yeah. Well, did you see the um, during the game the advertising hoardings were saying "Get your hair back." Perfectly <laughs> timed. <laughs> <laughs> poor bloke. Poor bloke. <laughs> um, let's talk about Leicester now. They've had a hundred percent start to the season. They were excellent here. Lots of people slagged off Brendan Rodgers after their collapse at the end of last season, Matt. And now everyone's hailing him as a genius again. Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and honestly, fickle football fans. I think it's it's easier to talk about it now because there's nothing at stake. Mm. Because when it's easy to, to say, right, you had a top four place and then you lost it. Whereas now, if you're going off of that sort of a ruling, he can't be judged until the end of the season where you can either win trophies or you can't. Or you can finish in top four, but you can't. If we're judging him on the here and now, he's a genius again. And I never thought he wasn't a genius. Um, I think there seems to be today a sort of um, need to categorise players and managers after what seems to be a very short amount of time, mm. um, you know, Brendan Rodgers being held as a genius or as a bit of an idiot. I mean, there's three games gone. <laughs> Why can't he just be a football manager who's had, you know, a bit of good form with Leicester and we'll see where it goes. I mean, technically, you know, everyone who's near the top of the table would have to be an absolute genius and then you're just going to change your mind later on. So I think he's a very, very good football manager. And what I think over the... Over the uh, the time that he's been at Leicester, it's all about them identifying and recruiting the right kind of players. And I think that's what he and the club need to be hailed for. Not just a couple of wins on the trot and not getting slagged off for a couple of losses on the trot that saw them slip out the Champions League spots. I think to be in that conversation, there needs to be some sort of genius behind it because they've done so, so well. And even this summer, Ricardo Pereira was one of... Um, if not the most underrated right-backs in the Premier League. He's fantastic. I think most top clubs would take him. And they've gone out and signed someone who's put his place under threat hmm. with very, very little opposition for um, Castagna, um, I believe that's how you say Yeah, yeah. Um, the right-back who I think has been involved in a goal every game he's played. I believe he scored against West Brom in the first game and has got an assist in both games since. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and you think that's another piece of brilliant sort of... Um, genius from Rodgers off the pitch to find players who are fitting into a system and that he's building something. I wouldn't judge someone off the back of a few games. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. Guardiola's one of the worst managers in the league and, you know, he's a bald fraud and all this sort of stuff. I think judging them over such a small amount of time um, is pretty poor. But I think Rodgers has got Leicester exactly where they should be. Um, and with a, a ridiculously exciting squad. What a time to be a Leicester fan. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Uh, well, yeah. join, us, join us on next week's podcast when we will once again discuss whether Brendan Rodgers is a fraud or is a genius. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's just how we do things. It's going to be a weekly thing now. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw on Twitter that you were impressed with Harvey Barnes, weren't you, Joel? Yeah, I, you know, I, I put a, you know, a little thing out there. So if anyone knows of a Harvey Barnes fan club, please let me know. I <laughs> hey, will join. I will contribute. Be the change you want to see in the world, mate. If you if you want a Harvey Barnes fan club, you got to start one. Yeah, <laughs> he's brilliant, though. He's and uh, not just yesterday. He's, you know, he's really come on on the last you know last last season. And then I think what, what we did see yesterday is how direct he can be. Mm. Like he loves to take on a player. Um, 
he's, he's got that sort of the directness of an old-fashioned winger, but I, I also think he's also got sort of the intelligence of someone who can play number 10 or number 8 in midfield. Uh, and, he, and he just he's just always threatening. He's always alive in the game. and he, He's not scared to receive the ball, you know, with two players near Markham. I, I, I think he's brilliant, and I think he's got... A, you know, a move in them to, to a possibly maybe even a Man City or a Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool were linked with them this summer, weren't they? At one yeah, point, yeah, they, mm. they were. I think they end up you know, going for Diego Joseph. You know, in 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 that position, but you know, would not have been too uh, too, um, too unhappy with that. You know, with Barnes coming in, but we'll, we'll see where his trajectory goes. Mm, that was an amazing goal from James Madison as well. I think probably call that an early goal of the season contender. That and, was a beauty. And what about Jamie Vardy, Matt? I mean, I, I always think penalties shouldn't count towards a hat-trick personally, but that second goal of his was unreal, <laughs> what, wasn't it? Why? I don't know. It's just a bit like, it's not really a, a real goal, I don't think. It's like <laughs> half a goal. Because you just like you, you just get a free shot from 12 yards. I don't think it counts as a real goal, personally. I, I think it counts. I think yeah. if, if, if you're... If your striker could score goals, but then he can also take free kicks and he can also do headers and he can also do penalties, I think, you know, good on him for having more bows, uh, more bows for his arrow. Mm. Um, I always, tell Leighton Baines that. <laughs> <laughs> I always think also that a professional footballer should not be missing the target from 12 yards. Did I you see Higuain's like penalty? No. <laughs> he, took a, he took a penalty in his debut for Inter Miami and blasted it over. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> like, full on. Um <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, back to Jamie Vardy. His second goal was... It was really sort of... It's quite an odd thing to think of a player carving out such a legacy so kind of late in his career, especially late coming to the Premier League. But the, almost this this running behind, this beating of the first man is almost doing a Vardy. Mm. You know what I mean? You get legendary players that won everything and you immediately see a bit of skill and you think, God, he's, he's done an Henri there. He's, he's done an Aguero. But doing a Vardy, he's generally doing it a lot. And I think it's so amazing to see him, yeah, kind of carve out this legacy well into his 30s. And you'd be, you know, you'd be a little bit foolish to back against him for the golden boot again. Mm. Well, on Saturday, Manchester United got their first Premier League win of the season with the winning goal somehow coming after full time of a dramatic five-goal thriller at Brighton. Joel, did you even know it was possible to be awarded a penalty after full time? Absolutely not. Um, I, I like my football games to to end at the final whistle, and, and you know I might be old fashioned, but I like it to end there and, and that be done with it. But <laughs> you know, we are where we are. I mean, it's it's incredible, and of course it was Man United to be on the end of that decision. That, yeah. you know, at first, but the the thing is, uh, as bizarre as it was, the the right outcome was was achieved in the end because it was a penalty. It's just the drama of it and the, the weirdness of it because we haven't seen it in the Premier League before is the fact that they came after the final whistle and you check the rules afterwards and um, I think Dale Johnson from ESPN is very good on, on VAR rules and, and making everyone aware of what it is. He, he posted something on Twitter afterwards and I said, you know, this is in the, you know, in the laws of the game now. Mm. Um, and, I, and I remember in the, the Bundesliga, it might have been two seasons ago, I think it was a game involving Mainz. Um, Mainz and Freiburg it was. That's yeah. it, yeah, where they gave a penalty you know, at half-time, so all the lads were back in the dressing room. And went, you, know, <laughs> you know what, no, get out. got a penalty to take. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's weird and it, it's just unusual, but you know, I, I don't think we'll see it many times in the future, but I, it's a possibility now. Um, but, well, Ollie well. time, are we calling it that? <laughs> don't give him that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'd hate that. <laughs> uh, well, for once, I don't think there were any complaints about the handball decision in this game, Matt, for the, the the penalty. Is this and the decision to overturn that Brighton penalty early in the second half a good example of VAR being a force for good? Um, I, I think so, but it's less about VAR for me rather than about the um, the interpretation of the laws that, that, that seems to be the sticking point because... VAR technically, when you're reviewing all of it, they're just they're going off the letter of the law, so you can't mm. really expect anything else from them. I think it is being a force for good, um, but there's just so many inconsistencies um, surrounding the rules as well that it kind of blurs the lines of what VAR. Yeah. It's it's almost shooting the messenger. You know, when you say yeah. <laughs> oh, VAR VARs, you know, completely ruined this game. You think. Well, actually, they've just reviewed the situation like they're paid to do and they've been told to do, and they're applying the laws. Like, it's not their fault that the laws are completely screwed up. Mm. Um, having said that, I think it was a penalty. His arm was unnaturally high. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, you could see the fact he was his body was half sort of turned away from Maguire's header. Um, 
that he was sort of looking to block it and make himself a bit bigger. So, yeah, I think so. Mm. Uh, well, United fell behind to a penalty from Neil Malpe in the first half. David De Gea has now been beaten by his last 18 penalties for United, although he did save one against Palace last week that had to be retaken. Uh, with goalkeepers no longer being able to move off their line at all, does this make it harder than ever to save penalties, Joel? Yeah, I think there's something in that uh, because obviously you can't sort of gain that sort of one inch, one yard sort of sprint to the left or right and mm. that you can jump onto it. But the, the thing is, that I think that's fair enough actually because the whole point of, of you know an opposition team being awarded a penalty is that you're given a sort of a free hit, free shot to score uh, or as close as a free shot it can be. Uh, the, the, the benefit is meant to be with the team taking the penalty and if goalkeepers find it harder to, to save them, then you know, fuck them. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's what it's meant to be about. Um, I, I I do think it is very harsh on them that they you know, literally can't move an inch off the line. But <sighs> penalties are meant to be scored. Yeah, I, don't know, I just yeah, I think I think it's I think it's really unfair. The, the penalty for me for me I think what it goes. It's a bit of an odd way of looking at it. These keepers, right? When this wasn't an issue, by the way for the last however many years of football. That's how these guys have been trained. Yeah. You've trained every day of your life to become a goalkeeper, right? And De Gea has played the majority of his career without these rules. So you're suddenly asking him to change something which has pretty much become an instinct to him overnight and other goalkeepers is quite difficult. If you suddenly said, I don't know, every penalty has got to be, you know, like when you're playing at school, two-step two-step runner, yeah. <laughs> right? You, you, you're completely blowing out every single player who's ever learned how to take a penalty with a normal run-up. Mm. It, it completely messes with everything they've ever taught or ever practiced in training, you know, for their whole youth and then for their whole professional career. And it would make a big difference. I mean, obviously that rule's not going to come in. could take as many penalties as you, uh, steps as you want. Uh, Pogba uses that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think it's a massive sort of... Um, direct uh, change in in what they've you know what they've been training for for so so long that it must be quite difficult to deal with yeah, yeah I- they, they will have to change you know they'll have to learn something new in the goalkeepers man mm. but and the, and the thing is they will they will learn how to adapt to this and, and goalkeepers will find a way to you know heighten their chances of saving a penalty but mm. the, the thing is this law uh, rule has been brought in because keepers were, were taking the mick a bit with with getting off the line. Like I, the most extreme example I can think of is Yeti Dudek in the Champions League final two thousand five. Yeah. Where <laughs> he was on the penalty spot. Well, that's not fair. That they, you know, when you have a penalty, it, you, you it should be with the guy taking the penalty. That that, that should be the benefit for himself, not the. Not yeah, the exactly. And, and and you're going against everything else that goes on in the game. By the way. Every time that someone's 12 yards out, your keeper instinctively is coming out to try and smother mm. the ball to make himself as big as possible in, in normal play. So it goes against everything they're being taught for this one specific spot kick. And I think it must be a bit of a, a sort of um, a bit of a weird thing in their, in their internal system to deal with. I think they should go back to, you know, the uh, penalties they used to do in the MLS in the 90s where you oh, had to like, yeah. run from the halfway line, <laughs> like a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. Bring that back. Let's make it... A proper, like, you know, competition, yeah, yeah. Get on board with that. <laughs> uh, Brighton rattled the woodwork five times in this match, which is a Premier League record, I believe. Uh, Leandro wow. Trossard was responsible for three of them. Are United still the luckiest team in the country, Matt? I mean, I used to think when everyone said, you know, they were lucky under Ferguson, uh, I thought it was just, you know, they're really good and they kind of make their own luck. But even when they're crap, they're still ridiculously jammy. <laughs> I think... I, I, I would never put that sort of thing down to luck. I mean, yeah, you could say it's lucky as it hit the woodwork, but... No one was aiming for the woodwork. I mean, Brighton are also, you know, very unlucky that they've hit it so many times. But yeah, again, it's kind of one of those things where no one's aiming for it. United are hoping that it goes wide and Brighton are hoping that it goes in. And the the post quite literally is the middle ground Mm. um, between being lucky and unlucky. I will say Leandro Trossard, though. I'm a massive fan of his. Yeah, he was good. Talk about the Harvey Barnes fan club. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, start, I'm starting up the Trossard fan club I think he got his Belgian debut the other day I believe um, and yeah I just think he's a, he's a really good player and if Brighton have a poor season I definitely think he'd he'd be one to kind of move up um, but yeah I mean with all the penalties and the penalty after a final whistle it's easy to put this um, it's easy to put this big 
fat lucky file together for Manchester United. <laughs> I reckon Plunk it down on the yeah. table and yeah. They would have been relegated in the post-Ferguson era if they weren't so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's how lucky they are. <laughs> uh, but I, sp- I suppose the question is, Joel, when does hitting the post over and over again go from being unlucky to bad finishing? Yeah, I think I think I think that's it. You know, um, again, if I was a footballer, I would simply aim to put the ball in the back of the net rather than <laughs> aim for the post. Um, no, I, I, I actually do think it is just purely down to luck. I think you know you want to talk about football cliches. The the goal, the Man United goal, was living a charmed life. <laughs> I, I think that literally is something. That, what that does that even mean? <laughs> Angels, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I put it down to. Uh, Paul Pogba came in for a lot of criticism in this game. Uh, did he deserve it, Matt? Do you think it wasn't his best? Let's let's get that straight out there. I always wonder in this team whether you'll ever see the best of Pogba because is he employed in that role? Like, for example, what what do you think the best of Pogba is? Well, I don't know. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when everyone was wanking on about he, sh- he needs to play on the left of a midfield three. And I was like, mm. he's a £90 million midfielder. He should be able to play <laughs> in numerous positions. He should be able to play in goal for that kind of money. Like, But, but I mean, if people are expecting to see, um, you know, the, the the Pogba that gets the goals and the, the unbelievable goals he scored at Juventus, um, getting assists, getting involved in the, all the attacking play, that's Bruno Fernandes' job in this team. Mm. That's... Um, Mason Greenwood and Rashford and Martial. I'm not sure whether this team is set up for Pogba to shine and bring what everyone expects of him. So therefore, he's fighting a losing battle and he's always going to look like, um, you know, he's had a poor game. If if Matic, like he was, is there for the defensive part or McTominay or whoever plays, if they're there for the defensive part in this midfield three, Bruno Fernandes is clearly there for the creative part. What really is Pogba's role? If Pogba's there to, you know put a foot in, keep the game ticking over, play the simple passes, give it to the more advanced forwards, then you're never going to see prime Pogba. And therefore, he's always going to come in for criticism because he's always going to look like he hasn't actually done much. Mm. Where really, is the team set up around him? I think if Pogba was to be in the prime Paul Pogba position in number 10, let's say Fernandez is injured or suspended or whatever, um, and then you don't see it from Pogba, then you can say, oh, he hasn't got the ability anymore, he's not doing this and that. But I, you know, in terms of what he actually needs to be doing in this Manchester United team, he's not the figurehead of it. He's mm-hmm. not the one that the team is built around anymore. And he may have to sacrifice a bit of the um, talents of Paul Pogba that we've seen to fit into the system rather than it fit around him. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't want to come across all Graham Sooners here, but I just I feel like Pogba's got a lot to prove. Like, <laughs> It's like he's, he's been average for, for longer than he was really mm. good at this point. Like He's been average for pretty much the whole time he's been at United. I think, yeah. I think people need to stop making excuses for him and expect a little bit more from him personally. But yeah, that's but, just me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, you just got to ask yourself, what is more? What yeah. should he be doing? He's not even taking penalties anymore, so he can't He can't even put that on his record. Yeah. Uh, well, on Sunday, Matt's beloved Tottenham were denied all three points against Newcastle by the cruelest of cruel handball decisions, which Joel didn't think was that bad at all, apparently. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, I want to hear this, Joel. <laughs> well, let's, let's have your opinion on it first, Matt. I think it's absolute bullshit, this handball stuff, isn't it? It is. It is absolute crap. And I point to Steve Bruce's press conference afterwards. Bruce was the main beneficiary of this decision. He is the one whose team benefited completely and utterly from it with their only shot on target with a last-minute penalty to get a point. And even he's saying that it's absolutely <laughs> Yeah. So if the, if the main beneficiary is calling it crap, then you know it's got to be crap. Um, I think that there were so many ridiculous things about it, but it's almost got to the point where players can look for handballs. That yeah. is the situation right now. Carroll did it two minutes earlier. He headed the ball down. Luckily for Dyer, it just hit the lower of his back. You know, the ball's gone over Dyer's head. He's jumped back. And unfortunately, as, as that email said earlier, his hands are attached to his body. <laughs> so he's jumped backwards. He's got no clue where the ball is, where the player is, where anything is. Right. And Carroll's headed it downwards and it's hit the back of his arm. How is he, how is he actively disrupting the flow of the game? Right. With that ball hitting his arm. I mean, you could talk about the header, you know, it wasn't even towards goal. <laughs> it was back across goal. I don't think it was blatantly stopping a handball. When someone's got no clue what's going on, how on earth can you give that as a handball? It's just, it is 
The word bullshit cannot be uh, underestimated here. <laughs> right, this better be good then, Joel. What, what's your, your reasoning behind thinking that was okay? For, for one, his arms in an unnatural position. Oh, what does that mean? But he's <laughs> jumped, just jumped backwards. Where else should they be? <laughs> That's compared to the Joel Ward one, you know, the Crystal Palace Everton one, where Joel Ward's arms are literally by his side. That's a natural position. That's a ridiculous decision. Um, but how do you this, jump and not put your arms up? It's pretty much impossible. Are you just not supposed to jump in the box anymore? Is that it? Just I, I, let him have a free <laughs> header. Just let Andy Carroll have a yes, free header. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there will be a better place. But the thing is, it's it's it, it's difficult. And maybe there is a bit of it is a little bit ridiculous. But the thing is, it's consistent with what's been going on last season and and now on to this. Um, if you think back to if you can think back to the opening day of last season, Leicester versus Wolves, uh, Willie Bolly gets a goal disallowed because it hits his arm. And it's sort of same sort of position where he has no idea about it. He's got no intent. And that also same weekend, Laporte gives away a penalty, doesn't he? For no, well, he had a goal disallowed. Oh, so this is the yeah, thing. Last, last season, it was... Yeah. yeah, last season, it was that attacking players were being punished for these yeah. accidental handballs, but defender defenders kind oh. of got a... Uh, you know, a, a pass, a free pass. Now they've brought him with defenders are also being punished for it. So they've made it doubly worse, if you ask me. Possibly, but the, the thing is, you say accidental handball, I guess every handball is an accidental handball because mm. unless you're, you know, doing Suarez against Ghana and you're stopping the ball going into the net and, and punching it off the line, I, I guess every other handball, you're not doing it on purpose. And I, I think it's just that my, my point with it is... That that is the, it's a rule now. It's, it's the law, um, and I guess we've always got to sort of get on board. But it's not guess, an actual law. They can just change it. Well, can, can they? Can they change it mid-season or? Why not? Uh, I'm not sure about mid-season. Because <laughs> well, the laws at the start of the season, I guess, have to be all the way through. I mean, obviously, the last season, you know, puts a tune to that because of the, you know the virus stopping the game. But I, I, I don't know. The thing is. I, I thought people would be a bit more sort of wound up by the Joel Ward one than the Dyer one because the Dyer one, okay, maybe is a bit silly, but that looks more a penalty than the Joel Ward one. But I guess the Spurs game was on Super Sunday and attracts more attention. That gets more column inches, doesn't it? The, the, the thing is, Joel Ward's face on to Richarlison, I think, who headed the ball. Yeah. See, so he's very aware of the position of the defender, uh, the attacker. He's aware of the position of the ball and how his body relates to that. Dyer is completely unaware of what's going on behind him. So he's not readjusting his body to sort of get in the way of Carroll or block the header. I'm not saying Joel Ward was either. But he's completely unaware as to what's going on. So how can he possibly adjust his body to even try and make it look like a handball or less of a handball? I mean... I think you should be punished for handling the ball, uh, whether it's accidental or not. But I don't think a penalty is a fair punishment. I don't think the punishment fits the crime there. Mm. I would say that a, an indirect free kick inside the penalty area would be a more apt uh, punishment for an accidental yeah. handball. Like and you can look at the video replay over and over again and determine whether a player meant to do it or not, I think. It, it, nine times out of ten, you can tell whether we, it was intentional or not. We had someone comment on our on, on the YouTube channel saying they should do in like hockey where you go to the... Uh, go to the corner of the um they go to the corner of the D I think and then you play in an indirect free kick right. from there well i mean here's a bit of a hot take but i was kind of thinking about this over the weekend why is a uh, a foul inside the 18 yard box rewarded um or punished shall i say by a free shot a goal from 12 yards it's kind of like doesn't make you can foul someone just inside the penalty area yeah. and then they get a free shot and goal so i'm saying let's abolish penalties for for fouls uh, that aren't inside the six-yard box. How about that for an idea? But then, te- but then technically, you're at a disadvantage if you were going to shoot from six and then it's being brought back to twelve. Yeah, that's true. So maybe make the six-yard box bigger. Maybe make it a twelve-yard box. <laughs> not a good week of penalties. We're, ga- we're galaxy brain in here, aren't we? Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a twelve-yard Oh dear, oh dear. Well, let's talk about the football again then, shall we? What did you make of Tottenham's performance in this game, Matt? Having said that, yes, Tottenham were very, very good in the first half, but the penalty should have been just a consolation. They should have been 5 or 6 nil up by half-time. I mean, obviously they didn't mean to hit the bar, but Son hit the bar on the post. Mm. Um, Harry Kane probably could have had a hat-trick uh, if they didn't find Cardolo in such good form. So yeah, you can also point to this. Um, I thought Tottenham were very positive. I just... 
there's something about it when Spurs play that just the anxiety creeps in the longer it goes on at 1-0. And I I really think that hampered kind of their performance in the second half. Um, obviously, the big issue is, is Son going off at half-time. I mean, he's yeah. such a key player for Spurs normally. Never mind when he's in the hot form that he's in at the moment. And he's going to be out for really, a while now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I said four weeks minimum, was mm. it? Hamstring, four isn't it? Minimum. I think, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a big problem, especially with this absurd fixture list that Spurs have got coming up. And it's no surprise. It's no surprise at all. And now there's a game on Tuesday and a game on Thursday and then a game on Sunday. Is that right for Spurs? But it's been like that for the last three weeks. Yeah. That's Tuesday, Sunday, crazy, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. I mean, yes, Spurs could do more in terms of signing a backup for Harry Kane, certainly, um, and more squad players. But there comes a point where you've just got to think this is very unnecessary and very unfair. In my eyes, as soon as they knew what was happening with COVID, right, and they knew the season was going to be this and that and had to be done before Euro 2021, scrap the League Cup. It's so unnecessary. Or, I don't know, make it optional for teams to go into the League Cup because I know it's it's a big deal to, to some smaller teams in I'm terms Manchester of revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go in it, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. City, <laughs> City will be straight in there. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, there was no need for it. There's no need for the Carabao Cup whatsoever. The only reason I can think of is that obviously Carabao have a sponsorship and they demand a return on their sponsorship. Mm. Pause it for a year. Nobody needs it this season at all. And I think everyone will be will be um, glad for the break. But as I said before, and the same thing happens for the penalty ruling at FIFA, until it affects their money, they're not going to care about it. And it never will. So go around in circles. Yeah. What's happening with Deli Alley? Do you think he's going to leave before the transfer deadline? Um, under normal circumstances, I say I hope so, because he's the next Jermaine Genus. Um, <laughs> and he, he winds me up and I just don't think he fits in. Having said that, with all the injuries and the amount of games that Spurs have got coming up, I hope he stays and I hope he, be, he, I mean, he becomes an important squad player. I just, he winds me up so much when I see him play. He's just so lethargic and slows everything down and really doesn't bring anything special to the table at all. So yeah, I'm, if there's an opposite of the Delhi Ali fan club, I'm in it. Oh, oh dear. I mean, he was he was so good a couple of years ago, wasn't he? It's yeah. a bit of a shame to see what's happened to him, really. But yeah, just Maybe there's no to... kick on. There's no new. There's no sort of the second coming. There's yeah. nothing. Maybe he's just gone a bit stale and needs a move, perhaps. Mm. Uh, about the only interesting thing from Newcastle's perspective in this game, Joel was uh, Joe Linton playing on the left and doing quite well. Do you think that's his best position? I mean, it's he's certainly played there for half time on a couple of occasions, um, and you know, I, I actually think his best position is probably up front, but not not alone. Definitely with a strike partner. Um, I, you know, I think when Newcastle bought him, they're probably expecting a different player than the one they did purchase. Mm. Uh, he's never been that prolific. I mean, his, his last season, his best goal scoring season at Hoffenheim, uh, he did get eleven goals in the whole season, but he did provide nine assists as well. So he's He's a different kind of striker. Bruce used him last year, sort of lumping the ball up to him as a lone striker, um, and that's just not his game. He does work better when he's got players around him and, and we're a bit more of an attacking team. And he, 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 he was he was all right, he, and he's, he's played there a couple of times uh, since, a lot since lockdown uh, for Newcastle. And I think I think it's proven that he maybe has got a bit of a future, but. Yeah, I just don't think Steve Bruce is probably the, the guy to to use an, an exotic foreign striker and, and get the best out of him. He's just got put no business in that as he. It's more about Andy no. Carroll. Yeah, I I actually think he's played very very well. I think it's actually really clever from Steve Bruce. I think last season you would have seen that Joel Linton going up against other centre backs, like you mm. said, is a losing battle. He's not going to hold the ball up and get people around him. But as an out ball. He's doing the same role. It's just they've sort of maximised their chances of him being able to hold on the ball by putting them by putting him against historically smaller and weaker players in fullbacks yeah. instead of centre backs. And I just think if you were to put Joel Linton against Sanchez or Dyer, he'd struggle. But if you put him against Doherty or any other right or left back in the league who's a little bit weaker and smaller, it's just He's playing the percentages. He's got more chance to hold on to it and get players around him. So I think it does look a little bit odd when you're putting a big striker out wide and expecting him to do a job. 
But I think it's, they're just changing the angle of the out ball. And uh, I think it can actually work quite well because I thought he was quite decent. Mm. Stevie Bruce, football genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why do Spurs have Sandstorm by Darude as their goal music, Matt? <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea. I think they just got to have something, haven't they? Uh, well, do they? I was going to say, why have goal music at all? Yeah, well, you know, a bit more atmosphere because otherwise when you <laughs> score, it feels like a friendly because no one really cheers. There's no fans. <laughs> I don't know. I think whoever runs the... The radio at Spurs just sort of typed in energetic hype music. <laughs> that, that was the first one that came up. <laughs> uh, well, there was plenty of energetic hype at the Hawthorns on Saturday evening when Chelsea came from 3-0 down at half-time to draw 3-3 with West Brom. Um, my first question on this one's about the goalkeeping situation at Chelsea. They've signed Edouard Mendy now, uh, but Frank Lampard admitted before the West Brom game that he hadn't spoken to Kepa about his role in the team going forward. Then he dropped Kepa for the West Brom game in favour of Willie Caballero. Do you think that could have been handled a bit better, Joel? And, and are they perhaps putting a lot of faith in Mendy to effectively save their asses now? Yeah, I think Frank Lampard's handled this really poorly, to be honest. Um, it was clear from you know the the way last season ended that Kepa did not have a future at Chelsea, um, and that one way or the other they were either going to get rid of him or bring a new goalkeeper in this summer. For him to start the first two games of the season was just really, really bizarre because it's it's been clear for weeks that Chelsea were going to bring Mendy in and mm. and that the transfer was going to happen or a transfer of a keeper a new keeper was, was going to happen. Lampard has sort of ruined Kepa's confidence. I, I, I know he, pff, you've got to put some blame on the player as well, you know, throughout form, but I do think Lampard has taken some responsibility in this because he's, 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 hung, him out, he's hung him out to the Wolves. He's fed him to the Wolves there, really. Um, I, I, you know, I do worry about Kepa's future in, in, the, in the game and where he might go and if he can recover from this. Um because you know, Willie Caballero would not have minded playing two games and being cast aside. <laughs> he must for be Mendy. The, he must be the only seventy-one million pound third-choice goalkeeper in the history of football. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not not bad work if you can get it. I, I yeah. guess not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they put, they've put like you said. You know, your questions fair there about about Mendy. It's a lot of pressure on the guy as well. He's, he's got to come in and hit the ground running. He's he's twenty-eight as well. It's, it's not like he's uh, you know. Another Kepper, where he is 22, 23, coming to the game and has got a high ceiling, you know, and potential to, to you know do seven, eight years at the top. You know, Mendy's got to sort of work. It's got to work now, uh, especially with Chelsea's ambitions, and that might not necessarily work. I mean, mm. he's got to get used to a new defence as well, and, and they've got two new players at the back there as well. Chelsea, it'll be interesting to see where it does work, and it's. Mm, it's a big gamble. Yeah. Uh, Thiago Silva made his Chelsea debut in this game. He was made captain and then he dropped a pretty massive clangor for the second goal. Is, is that something Chelsea fans should be worried about, Matt? Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we spoke earlier about not judging people too quickly. Um, but this is an uh, all-encompassing, career-winning, you know, experienced 36-year-old centre-back. And I think... That as much as you think there should be time to settle in for a new player in a new club in a new league, you don't really expect the basics of that to to you know sort of go so wrong for him. Mm. I mean, the, the second one especially was it was it just he took his eye off the ball? It's just, it's just something that you wouldn't expect. Mm. Um, I personally think as well it's a little bit odd they gave him what was it a two year deal and quite a bit of money. I don't think he's first choice. Um. But there you go. Apparently and they made him Kurt captain Zuma as well. I don't think he thing. speaks yeah. very good English, does he? Which is, do you think, yeah, that was a bit prerequisite well. for being captain of an English football club? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you would have thought so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, I think he would be great as an experienced player to have around the squad, but I certainly wouldn't see him as a first choice, and certainly wouldn't see him as, as captain. He doesn't need to be a captain on the pitch. You'd think someone with all of his experience would just naturally lead by example. I don't think you need to make a show of it. And, and sort of give him that position of responsibility because now you've got the flip side of this where he comes out and plays the next game and he's not captain and then you're entering that whole psychological thing. Oh, Lampard has dropped him as captain after one game and, you know, it, it kind of opens up the wound a lot more. I think it was a little bit of a poor choice from their manager. Yeah, well, Tweet of the Weekend goes to Joe Stevenson, who said, Thiago Silva finally learning that football is actually difficult when the strikers you're up against haven't just finished a 10-hour shift at the Boulangerie. 
<laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. No offence to our French listeners there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's our three errors leading to a goal for Chelsea this season. That's as many as they made in the whole of last season. They've also conceded more away goals since the start of last season than any other team. Declan Rice will sort that out though, won't he, Joel? Hmm. Dep- <laughs> <laughs> it depends where you're going to play him because you know it, it does sound like Chelsea has signed him to play centre half. That's what all the rumours and all the links are, you know, are going at. If that deal does happen, he's going to become a defender. Um, I'm not. I'm, we've been on this podcast before where we're sort of not too sure about Declan Rice, um, especially for the money that you know it's getting rumoured that he's linked for. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be the, the solution to all their problems. Um, saying that, I did. Played very well for West Ham on on Sunday night against Wolves, mm. um, but I, I just think they've got an goal. I can't see there. I'm not quite sure they're using in, in the right way. Well, he's going to Man United now, isn't he? Apparently, it's the rumor. If you want to talk about sort of like sorting out the defensive problems, I mean, in goal, I can say ran a two-man midfield for Leicester to help them win the league, mm. and then did the very next season. It's pretty something similar for Chelsea to help them win the league. He's someone that can provide defensive security and do it in a much better way than Declan Rice. But, you know, I'm not Frank Lampard. No. Uh, well, Chelsea did come back into this game in the second half. Uh, the equalising goal came from Tammy Abraham in stoppage time, despite replays showing that Kai Havertz appeared to control the ball with his arm just before it. What do you make of that one, Matt? Should that goal have been disallowed? Well, this is what I mean. Now we're coming on to the same waffle as earlier. How is it if one handball is fine and the other one's not? And I just, it's funny there's just no consistency. They barely even seem to check that one. Yeah. yeah, this is also what I don't get. There is no sort of um, understanding of what kind of checks go on and mm-hmm. what don't go on. Um, I mean, this one is a clear case that if his arm wasn't there, and I'm not saying it's in an unnatural position because it's down by his side, which anatomically speaking is where most arms are. Mm. <laughs> if his arm wasn't there, the ball would have gone on a different course and... It's all in context. That's the thing. It's all just context and a context which nobody seems to be able to grasp. Yeah, the handball rule's not only shit, but it's also been applied really inconsistently. It just fills me with joy mm. for the season that we've got to look forward to, you know. We're going to be talking about it every week, aren't we, basically, I mm. think. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, Frank Lampard came in for a lot of criticism after this game. Joel, do you think he's now entered Solskjaer territory, whereby he's sort of under a lot more scrutiny in the last season and it feels like the club are just waiting for a good excuse to sack him? I'm not quite quite sure actually. I, I think he's he's kind of maybe not getting away with it, but I, I don't think he's I don't think he's receiving the scrutiny that he should, to be honest. Um I mean, you know, last season he gets he's up for the awards and the manager of the year, isn't he? And you know, okay, getting to the Champions League and FA Cup final, he's he's had a he's had a good first season, but the pressure should be on this season. The money they've spent, the players they've got in, they've got Chelsea have got some of the best potentially Ballon d'Or, if not winners, on on the top list players there now, and, and Kai Havertz, the team of Werner, even Pulisic and, and Zayek, uh, all, all incredible. They 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 should be fine for the title this season. I'm not necessarily sure they're going they're going to. I don't think Lampard's getting that criticism yet, but I guess you know it is still early on in the season. I think if we're looking at February and Chelsea aren't comfortably in the top four. I think he should receive it then. I think a brown veg will start asking for a return on his investments. And mm. uh, doesn't matter if you're a club legend, if you you know you're not fighting for the title. Roman's got a trigger happy finger, so <laughs> have to see on that. Yeah, what did you, t- you take from West Brom's performance in this game, Matt? Were there some encouraging signs there, or is blowing a three-goal lead just unforgivable at this level? Uh, it, it is because they worked so hard to get into that position. If if they were if they would lost the game three 0 right, take away their first half and you think, yeah, well they're just not good enough at this level, you know, this, that, the other. Um, or, you know, they're playing against Chelsea, it's quite not acceptable, but it's to be expected to lose the game. They got into such a good position that I almost feel like it wasn't very West Brom like. They almost sort of turned around and went, Hold on, are we the ones three 0 up? <laughs> yeah. Or are they the you know, it, it's sort of a very uncharted territory for this West Brom team. And I think once Mount got the first goal back for Chelsea. You could see there was a bit of panic. And not only had they never been 3-0 up, but they'd never then been on the um, the receiving end of a surging comeback. And I just feel like West Brom couldn't deal with it. And a lot of doubt has set in, and they don't have too many players who are experienced at this level, certainly in playing against such top-level opposition. Um, 
and I think this is what I thought before the beginning of the season, they just don't have the quality to stay up in terms of being able to sort of grind out the results and, you know, worry about the defending first, not conceding too many, and then worrying about the attack. Because, you know, it's all well and good that they can go and have these games every so often where they, you know, take a 3-0 lead. But those games are going to be few and far between. Mm. Those games or those halves even where they concede three goals are going to be far more frequent. So they need to sort that out first. Um, Because, you know, how how many times this season are West Brom going to concede three goals and still not lose the game? Very few. Very, very few. Um, So I think, yeah, they, they really should worry about that because that is at any level, a capitulation at best. Mm. I wasn't very impressed with our goalkeeper, Sam Johnston, in this game, actually, even before Mm -hmm. the sort of uh, error for the third goal, if you want to call it that. Uh, I wasn't very impressed with Chelsea's third kit either. That's a fucking abomination, isn't it? (laughs) They're playing like Palace now. (laughs) It's like like Palace in pink, though, isn't it? It's more pink than than red than I thought. I just don't know who signs off on this. I know. They should be docked (laughs) points for that, I think. It's it's that bad. Uh, Everton continued their 100% start to the season with a 2-1 win away at Crystal Palace on Saturday. We've talked enough about handballs for one day, so let's just forget that that even happened in this game. Uh, Roy Hodgson was very unhappy about it, and we'll we'll uh, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Um, Everton weathered a, a Palace storm in the second half. They held on for a very decent three points. Looks like everything's in place at Goodison Park, Joel, so how, how are they going to mess it up this time? I hope they do. I hope they will. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to be concerned that they might not. Um, <laughs> I'm starting to have a look at maybe never going back to the UK because I'm not sure I could face <laughs> Everton being a successful team uh, in my lifetime but I, I think I think you put it right there Everton is in place I mean when they get Carlo Ancelotti he, maybe he's not the Carlo Ancelotti of Real Madrid and Bayern Munich uh, or even like Milan Juventus years but he's still one of the best coaches in the world Um He's, he's, he's incredible players just love playing for him and they get him in place but you know last season doesn't necessarily work out too well because the squad isn't there the players just not of, of a quality standard but obviously they, they buy these three players over the summer when they get you know Alan and, and Decore and, and obviously Hamas um, and it, it just looks great doesn't it but he's also improved Dominic Cavett Lewin and Richarlison it's 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 looking looking really good at the moment. To be fair, to they're playing really good football. And they look like they can you know score goals anytime they go forward. But we'll see. It's it's still early days, and you know they've still got to you know come up against you know, better teams. We'll see. They play Liverpool and match day five, so mm. that'll be the true test of whether their title challenges are not. Is that at Anfield or at Goodison? At Goodison Park. Oh, okay. So, you know, Interesting, no. interesting. We'll see. Yeah, you mentioned Hammers there. That was a lovely pass from him in the build-up to the first goal. Up the Duffies. Everton fans kind of swooning over him at the moment. Reminds me of what I was like when Sven Goran Eriksson came in at City and we had like Alano, Martin Petrov, that kind of thing. It's the similar sort of transitionary period for them, I think. Um, but do they need a new goalkeeper, do you think, Matt? Uh, Jordan Pickford was a bit suspect on the, the goal in this game. They've been linked with Jasper Sillison from Valencia, I believe. Um. I feel like, unfortunately, because I think Pickford's done quite a good service for Everton and for England, he's crossed over the line of, oh, it's just one mistake, he'll get back to Pickford, to this is like the default uh, the default thought on his game overall is that he's not good enough. Mm. And I don't think one or two good performances is going to rectify that. And now that the question's out, it's very, very difficult for him to turn public perception around. Um, and I think they're they should get a new goalkeeper. I just think with Pickford, he, I think that every goalkeeper makes mistakes. There's, there's no sort of question about that from, you know, the worst goalkeepers, obviously to, to the very best. It just seems to be that his specific mistakes are so deeply embedded in the way that he plays that you can't sort of iron them out. Mm. When it's a mistake at his feet, you think, I would just ask him to stop using his feet or whatever. That's the way he plays. Or when it comes to him not having the best of handling or, you know, as, as a lot of people have said, having his T-Rex arms. <laughs> well, that's um, the thing in this game. Like, that that's what yeah. strikes me most about Jordan Pickford, that, all right, it's not easy to save a point-blank range header like that. But yeah. he didn't get anywhere near it. And it's like, if but, you just sort of put your arms up, you might have had a better chance with that. And, but, yeah. but, but this is also the thing, like, how are you going to grow his arms? Yeah. <laughs> Or how are you going to grow him? I mean, these are things that, like, as I said before, you can't iron these mistakes out. 
Like, this is Jordan Pickford. When you sign him, you're well aware of how tall he is and of how long his arms are. So it's going to be very, very difficult for him, I think, as I said, to change the kind of public and Everton's perception of him and his quality as a goalkeeper. I know Gareth Southgate is is sticking by him, um, which I'm not necessarily sure is the right idea for England. But for Everton, yeah, I I think they should go out and buy a new goalkeeper. And I, I fully trust them to make... A good signing. I spoke about Brendan Rodgers' recruitment earlier for Leicester. I think Ancelotti and Everton have been fantastic. They saw their midfield as weak as piss last season mm. and has been, right? So you go in and get Decore and Allen, both proven, both quality players. Sigurdsson and Walcott, absolutely useless, getting some brilliant attacking midfielder. James, is, James really reminds me, as a Spurs fan, of when we signed Van der Vaart. It was so blatantly obvious that we had a guy in our team who was levels above the rest in terms of his individual quality and showed it. And this van der Vaart, Hammers, you know, very sort of similar thing. Both got them as a Real Madrid outcast. And I see him being brilliant. And if Everton need a goalkeeper, I think they'll do a good job in, in recruiting someone, you know, is going to be good for them and I think Sillison's a good option mm. I, th- I feel like it's probably going to be next summer before they properly address that issue now but I think it's mm. it's, it's going to be something they're going to have to look at at some point uh, well there I was telling everyone City's win at Wolves was really impressive last week and then they went and got tonked 4-0 by West Ham on Sunday night uh, Joel David Moore should work from home more often shouldn't he? 100% because um, then he's not you know his forlorn looking figure on the touchline <laughs> isn't putting off the West Ham players um, clearly uh, once he got to 3-0 I'm pretty sure he didn't watch the last 20 minutes he just like <laughs> stuck on an episode of the fall or something you know what I mean put his feet up fair, fair play they, they, were, they were brilliant and, and I, I just I, I think especially on, on our side he's all written off West Ham on, on picking up any points until mm. November because of the fixtures they've had and they were, they were great against, you know they were lucky to lose against Arsenal they put on a good performance and then yesterday you know I do think Wolves were, were dreadful and, and something's maybe a bit up there or just haven't settled this season but you can't take anything away from West Ham they had a game plan and they, and they played well to it and stuck to it and it worked, and they've got decent players there. There's been no doubt about it. It's just you know getting the right time, you know, put, putting off this sort of pressure from the board and that kind of thing, and you know getting that noise out. And mm. Jared Bones, incredible! Some of the goals he scored for Hull, and, and now he's you know looks like he can do the business of West Ham as well. There's, there's something there for him. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering if Moisey had sort of used his time productively and did his laundry during working hours, like I sometimes do. Actually, shouldn't say that, should we really? <laughs> Our employers might be listening to this. And that, that was just a joke, by the way, if anyone's listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, do you think Wolves should be concerned about their early season form? Um, hmm. It's been a very, very long year for them, especially going far mm. in the Europa League. I would tend to be concerned because I think they've lost a few key players. With Jota moving to Liverpool, Doherty to Spurs... They haven't really found a way of replacing them or making the next step. You know, I, I think they're going to be, unfortunately, victims of their own success. When you finish in Europe or top, when did they finish last season? Seventh. Mm. Um, you're going to be expected to push on. And that's an extraordinary task to be to lose two of your um, key players and then be expected to push on to top six or the top four. Um, so I think they'll kind of maybe drop down to mid-table ever so slightly. I know they signed, is it Fabio Silva from Porto? Mm. Um, you know, I thought the same thing last season when they signed Cotrone. Um And that worked out for about six months. And then he went back to Syria. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't see how Silva's going to have a big impact and play ahead of Raul Jimenez for the majority of the season. So I think maybe they should be a little bit concerned, but not, not in the way where they need to be sacking the manager or making any knee-jerk signings. They just need to work through it and eventually they'll come good. I think with no uh, Europa League this season, it's going to help them ever so slightly. Mm. You never really hear anyone calling Nuno Espirito Santo a fraud, do you? I I think he might actually be a bit overrated. Like, I wonder if he'd actually be there if he wasn't mates with George Mendes, you know what I mean? But (laughs) Or if he had a a swell barnet, a head full of hair. (laughs) (laughs) Or if his name was Neil, um, I don't know, what's the English equivalent of Santo? Santa, don't know. Yeah. Doesn't work really, does it? <laughs> um, Leeds United made it two wins on the spin when the Grantham Cavani, Patrick Banford, headed in a late winner against Sheffield United. Uh, Joel, my pre season prediction that Sheffield United would struggle and might even go down is looking quite interesting right now, isn't it? 
Don't tell oh, me yeah. that's his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it is, yeah. Grantham Cavani. Wow. He's on flames, isn't he? <laughs> um, it's, it's weird with, with Sheffield United because that, you know, the, there's not been that many changes to, to, to the setup and, and the team. Uh, they've not really lost anyone you know, huge. and They've signed a couple of young, young lads. Um, Jaden Bogle and Max Lowe from Derby, who are going to you know, imagine be the wing back replacements eventually. But if you know they've not, it's pretty much the same as last season. But that cliche second season syndrome is getting thrown about, isn't it? Mm. I think they were unlucky to lose against Aston Villa, and, and you know, another day they, they come away with at least a point there. And but I, I think I think there's something in that. Yeah, I think maybe. Th- Teams will have started to work them out, and obviously they've got a very unique way of playing. But teams now got a year's data on them, and and they can prepare for that in in a different way. And I think it's an, an issue up front. I think you know Billy Sharp, McGoldrick, and Musay all, all decent players, maybe not necessarily Premier League standard. But you know, like anyone, any team in the Premier League, they want to find someone who can stick it in the onion bag on a consistent basis. And I think that's going to be that their issue that they need to address in the final week of the transfer window. I know we're going to go on sort about sort of Ryan Brewster to get linked with from Liverpool. Mm. I think that possibly is a good signing. Um, but you know, the, the fee is getting quoted twenty twenty five million for a lad who's not made that many Premier League appearances. It looks like he has got a high ceiling and he did score a lot of goals for Swansea last season on loan, but that would be a huge gamble to expect mm. him to, to, to score you the goals to possibly keep you up. That's going to be their level of ambition this, this season compared to how he started late. Mm. I mean, I don't think Leeds were particularly great here, but they got the win and the, they're up against Manchester City next weekend. Matt, that should be a good game, shouldn't it? <laughs> th- th- this has got all the makings of a great game, especially yeah. if you take the two results from Leeds and City this weekend. I think if anyone's going to ruffle some feathers, it's going to be Bielsa. And this is the sort of the meeting of the two, the two tacticians who are so absolutely mental about it and about their systems and their way of, their way of playing, that something's got to give. Mm. Some, something's got to happen. I mean, one's going to be exposed. Um, and, yeah, until the victors go to the spoils. I mean, I couldn't call it at all at the moment. If you look at form, Leeds obviously uh, looking a lot sharper. Um, if you go on players, and historically, the Manchester City should have the edge. It's Ellen Road, right? Yes, yeah. Ooh, I mean, not that makes a huge amount of difference with, with the <laughs> lack of fans. I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a cracking game. I can see both defensive lines being so high that they'll be able to shake hands during the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be amazing. It'll be like a basketball game. Guardiola's de- definitely going to do something crazy with his tactics as well, just to try and like outthink Bielsa, and Bielsa is oh, probably just going to get inside this, his head. And yeah, this is what I mean. They're both going to be like sitting in the corner in a straitjacket at their office, <laughs> just over overthinking it with each other. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, Southampton got their first win of the season, courtesy of a Danny Ings goal at Burnley on Saturday night. Joel, are you surprised nobody made a serious effort to sign Ings this season? He has all yeah. the Ings ingredients to be a top quality striker. If <laughs> oh, you know. Get out. <laughs> that, that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I am down, to be honest, because, you know, we just talk about sort of every team in the Premier League wants to find someone who can stick it in the onion bag. Mm. Danny Ings has proved that he, he's got the ability to do that on a consistent basis. I know Spurs were linked with him, but um, I'm not sure that'd be a good move because obviously he's going to all go there to play second fiddles to Harry Kane. And uh, the fingers of Ings, you know, he's he's flourished because he's been the main man and and play, you know, played on a consistent basis for Southampton. Yeah, I think I think he's got it. I I think he he, he had his move to Liverpool, and I think the injury did him because he he was he was starting to come on for us and he was starting to play, you know, a fair few games and and looking promising and obviously he has that horrific injury and just never quite recovers for us mm. but uh, I, I think he, he, he's he got the ability to play that top, you know, top six top eight level kind of thing and it, it's nice to see him you know, getting the recognition he deserves and getting him call up and, and being in the round because he's He's a natural-born finisher. Mm. Well, he celebrated that goal despite it being scored against his former club, and Mahrez did the same on Sunday. Do you think this is the upside of there being no crowds, that players don't have to go through this nonsensical, non-celebration charade against their old club thing? Oh, yeah, do that pretend to be kind anymore. Fuck them. Yeah, yeah do it. exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, two defeats for Burnley now, Matt. Um, should we read much into their early season form, or is, is it to be expected they've got a number well, of players Well, I've just out? said that we're reading a little bit into Wolves' form, so I guess you should. Um, 
But again, Burnley's ambitions aren't as high as Wolves. Mm. Um, I wouldn't think so. Of course, absentees make it a lot more difficult um, for a team like Burnley who don't necessarily have the biggest squad. Um, but yeah, the thing is with Burnley is that they very much, um, and I think Sean Dyche would as well, kind of plot their points of the season where they're going to win. Yeah, mm. they'll, they'll very much be aware of, you know, these are the games where we need to go for three. Here's the game where we can accept one and we'll, you know, we'll take a loss in a few of these games. Um, so I think anytime you read into Burnley's form too much, it may sort of be part of a, a, a bigger plan where, you know, again, it, they're in this very odd um, situation, Burnley, as I think a few clubs are, like also Sheffield United, where... If you're not going to be pushing for Europa League, right, the top six or seven, your first priority is getting to 40 points and avoiding mm-hmm. relegation. There is this massive gap in between where if you're not going to be in that conversation, you get to 40, there could be a shock relegation like Sheffield United or, or Burnley, and then you kind of see how far between 16th and 9th you can finish. Yeah. And it's sort of, and I think they're they're in that situation where there's no pressure on them to have a scintillating start, be one of the pace setters in the race for the top six. They obviously don't want to go down. I think they've got enough quality to not go down. So they're sort of, you know, if they go through a bit of uh, poor form, they're not going to panic. They're going to pick up points for the count throughout the season and be okay. And uh, you know, the money is so much these days that the difference between finishing ninth and you know, fourteenth might be quite a few million, but it's still overall an insane amount of money for each for each team. So I think a lot of them will just sort of think, you know, we'll get to forty and go from there. Yeah, maybe to, the way to sort of spice things up is get rid of the relegation zone and just anyone who doesn't get fifty points gets relegated. <laughs> get rid of them. Not worth it. <laughs> well, you, you, you've had some pretty outlandish uh, theories on how you can improve football. Today. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, well, that's all for this week's episode of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. I wanted to finish today by sharing a nice bit of fan mail I received over the weekend. Uh, I got a tweet from Aditya Sahar who said. Ah, so I finally found you. I tried to search you on Insta, but could never find you. I read some of your articles on One Football. All I want to say was you were shite and an absolute asshat. That's all. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? An asshat. Uh, that's a very un- underused insult, if you ask me. Yeah, that is. That is going straight to the top of my. <laughs> if you see person. me for the next two <laughs> next two weeks, that's what I'm coming out with. <laughs> well, even my girlfriend started calling me now. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> No hope for me. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch like Aditya did there, uh, you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Thank you to Matt and Joel for joining me today and thank you to everyone for listening. Ian McCourt will be back later in the week with the Euro podcast and we'll be back again to talk all things Premier League next Monday. <laughs>